Well, good morning. Good morning. So, Lynn just gave us the, the answer at the very end of the sermon. In what we just recited in, in the Lord's Prayer there, thy will be done, rather than our will be done. All right, so we just gave the whole thing away. So, anyway, the, um, you can open up your Bibles. We're going to continue our study in the book of Romans chapter 1. We are going to look at the second half of Romans chapter 1 this morning. And the title that I gave uh, the, the message this morning is The Wrath of Getting Your Own Way. And um, this is a very telling portion of scripture. Uh, Paul is, in the first, you have to remember, uh, in the first few chapters of Romans, Paul is doing an incredible job under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of setting the stage for the gospel for the good news, for us to truly understand and value and cherish and love the gospel. And he is here setting the stage for that. Um, but as we begin, um, just very thankful for our time in worship through music this morning, because as we were singing, I was just thinking that there is a lot of people who have lost their peace uh, by not going to the Lord in prayer. They're, they're not, they don't have any idea what they're doing they're running around in panic and chaos and their troubles are everywhere and nothing makes sense to them uh, because they're not seeking the lord jesus christ and and looking to him and what he has for us and so that is definitely good to i was thinking even of romans as we were singing early on that who can sever us from the love of christ there's nobody and nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. So we were singing uh, Romans this morning, so I appreciate that. But I want to start with just uh, something that maybe we can relate to as we think about Romans chapter 1. Um, at the beginning, uh, think back um, maybe to when we were all little kids, and you had something that you wanted so bad that you just were incessant to your parents, begging your parents for something, and they said, no. That didn't stop you, didn't deter you. You just said, I want it. Dad, Mom, can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? And you just, can I have it? Can I have it? For Maybe for weeks, for a long time. Whatever that thing was, you fill in the blank. And finally, you were nagging enough, your parents said what? Fine, or okay, have it your way, right? Go ahead, just get out of my hair, right? They'd had enough, right? Maybe that was the case, or maybe, maybe you're in the kid spot, right? And doing it the other way around, and then finally your parents said, fine, have it your way, and you went out and did that thing, right? And it didn't turn out the way you thought it would, right? You got into trouble, or in pain, or things just collapsed, and as the then later on you realize, you know, my parents weren't as dumb as I thought they were. They really knew, but in their mind they said, that kid is what? Just going to have to learn the hard way, right? So, so that may not be a very perfect example of the end of chapter 1 in Romans, but there are some correlations there, I believe, in some of those lessons that we've had in life where we just wanted something so bad. We wanted our will to be done. We wanted it our way we didn't care what our parents' will was or what they thought was best. We were just going to go for it. Well, th there is, our Father is our Father in heaven. And 
uh, he has uh, a will for us, a perfect will for us. He has plans for us, but many times we don't pray, may your will be done. We just want it our own way. And, and sadly, the world and we continually do that, and it brings God's anger and it brings God's wrath. And that's the unfortunate part. And, and uh, so that is where we're at at the beginning of, uh, at the end of chapter one of Romans. Uh, but as we, before we read this section, I want us just to remember uh, 16 and 17 and the comparison that we began to talk about last time we were in Romans. And because and, this is going to be the second half of that comparison, right? The first half of uh, the comparison is salvation, right? And in the righteousness of God, right? Salvation comes from God because of his righteousness. Because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we get salvation, right? And, and the other half of this comparison, so, so Paul is setting that up as just the, here's the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is salvation because of Christ's righteousness, right? The other half of that is the unrighteousness of man brings the wrath of God. So these two things, salvation, righteousness, unrighteousness, wrath. And that's what Paul is contrasting here and opening our eyes to um, the truth of uh, the truth of who God is and how he acts. And how he acts in uh, relationship to our actions and our, our responses to his will and to his ways. And to be honest, these last few months, these last few months have been, um, I've known some things that were out there, but really have been an eye-opener for me. God's really been opening my eyes to the reality um, of just how few people believe God's word. And what I mean by that is how few Christians hold to God's word. And that's been a very sad eye-opener to me. Um, there are a lot of Christians, a lot of people out there in church that want to, um, I like the clay and sculptor analogy, but they, they want to fashion a God how they think he is, how they want him to be. And so then they twist scripture and they leave out scripture and they do whatever they want to scripture because to fashion the God they want him to be. And then they, and then they live accordingly. And there, there's a lot of people that devalue God. They, they um, what did they do when they, when they say, I've realized there's a lot of people, and, and I have to start this way with when we're going to talk about the wrath of God. It's an aspect of God. It's who He is. He's a God of truth, and He doesn't put up with unrighteousness. He will not put up with it. And, but there's a lot of churches and Christians that don't believe in God's wrath. I, I've heard these kind of statements these last few months over and over and over. Uh, God doesn't do that anymore. God is only a God of love. That was an Old Testament God. Since Jesus came, we have a different, God acts differently. I've heard that come out of Christian leaders Spiritual leadership in churches have said, God doesn't act that way anymore. I'm like, 
Bible are you reading? I want to be a Christian. I want us to be a, a, a congregation who holds up God's word. And when God says this is the way he is, we don't change that. This is the way God is. If, if something's going to change, it's not going to be God. It's going to be me. right? He is the sculptor fashioning. I, I'm not doing this to him. right? That's not the way it works. We come to God's word, and if anybody's in the wrong, it's not God. It's me, right? How many times have you read God's word? You open up the Bible and you start reading and you're like, ooh, God, I need to change. That hurts. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing when God says, I'm going to fashion my child to shine and to be beautiful, right? And I got to knock off those edges. And, and he's revealing, ooh, he is a consuming fire. Right? He is. He is a consuming fire. We were singing about the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're singing about Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm not sure how many of you have watched um, some of the Narnia movies that they made. And they're pretty good in comparison to the books. The books are way better, of course. But the, the movies had some good parts in them. And, and I love uh, the part, uh, I think it's in Prince Caspian, um, where uh, Aslan, the lion, is uh, there's a little dwarf that didn't believe in him, right? That comes up, and he's there, and he just opens his mouth up and roars in his face, huge, and he's just like, you know, shaking in his boots. And I love that scene, right? Just because he is floored because there's a lion's head, and he's just this little guy, right? And he's like, you believe in him now? <laughs> you know, as I think Lucy asked, do you believe in him now, or what do you think now? You know, and he's like, got it, right? <laughs> That's God, right? When he roars... He roars and we quake. He reveals himself in certain ways, and I love the imagery that uh, the lamb is also the lion. I want to follow a strong God, the truth of God, not one that I invent. Anytime I've read through the Old Testament or the New, and I see people, we get examples of people that have changed who God is, whether it be a golden calf or whatever, how did it work out for them? Not so well, right? If we can learn anything from scripture, it's like when people fashion God into be in some sort of idol that looks different than he actually is, God wasn't so happy. And it didn't go well for those people. But what they're doing, when, when, when Christians all around us are saying God doesn't act that way anymore, they are bringing God down and they're bringing man up, right? They're making a small God, and they're making man big. I heard one of the things that was said to me in a long conversation was that <clears throat> anything bad that happens today, it's only because we do it or Satan does it. That God does not do anything. Any of the bad things that happen in this world, God's not in charge of that. God's not over that. And I'm like, you have taken God off of his throne. Or you're trying to. Right? You're, you're saying, okay, anything that we don't like, it's because the devil did it. Well, I'm pretty sure uh, when I read scripture, that's not the way that works out. God is huge. He's infinitely wise. He's 
perfect. He is love, and he's grace, and he's mercy, and he's, he's compassion, and all of those attributes. And he's also holy and pure. And is, when I open up scripture, I think there's some parts, if I remember right, where he also has a sword coming out of his mouth and he's got a robe dipped in blood, right? And he's going out to battle and he's going to slay his enemies. I read about those parts and I say, I need a full understanding of God. Not just the nicey-nice God that people make him out to be sometimes. He said, I am, I am who I am. Right? I am who I am. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Right? It, it, Jesus is that one on the horse. He's going to tread right, the fierceness of the wrath of God on an unbelieving world that hates him. Right? That time is coming. So some people will say there's wrath coming in the future. We get that. We don't want to think about it, but it's out there. Maybe there's a hell, but it's only future wrath. There's nothing right now. And that doesn't line up with scripture either, right? I also remember where Jesus said to one of his churches that there's that woman who is in sexual, living sexually immoral, and if she doesn't repent, I'm going to kill her, and I'm going to kill her children. That's what he says to the churches in the New Testament, right? I'm going to slay them. Her whole family is going to die if she doesn't repent. And because he, he says, I want to be known as the one who searches the minds and hearts, and I give to each one according to his works. That's the words of Jesus Christ to his church. He will not put up with immorality among his people. That's a New Testament God. Right? He is a consuming fire. I, if I could quote C.S. Lewis another time, I have a couple of C.S. Lewis's quotes this week. But I appreciate in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the children first go to the beaver's house, if you remember that, they're at the beaver's house, and they're finding out about Aslan. They're learning about Aslan. And, and um, the beaver tells Susan that he's a lion. Aslan's a lion. She says, ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, right? That, that's our God. That's C.S. Lewis describing our God, Yahweh. He's not safe, but he's good, right? He is powerful, and, and I appreciate that about God. Let's read Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through the end of the chapter. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts 
were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know the righteous judgment of God, and those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. All right, so that's an incredible chapter. And it's very telling for us. Probably as I'm reading through there, you're thinking of everything that's going on today in our society for the past 60 years or so, right? And you're just like, oh, we are in the midst of it. Right? And what is very clear from this passage is that, yes, wrath is coming in the future, but we're in the midst of it right now. We are in the midst of God pouring out his wrath right now. And that is a very controversial statement today, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It's very obvious from Scripture, but many people take issue with that. And it will not make you very popular if you voice that opinion today. Right? It will make you stand by yourself. Right? <laughs> it, that's what happens. So, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed there. Is revealed. is a present passive indicative. Okay? Which means... It's present. It's going on right now. God is not saying the wrath of God is coming. He didn't say that. There's other places that say that. He didn't say the wrath of God is coming. Or the wrath of God was. The wrath of God is revealed. It's, it's happening right now and it's passive. In other words, you're not doing it. God's doing it to you. right? God is doing it to this world. God is bringing it to this world against all ungodliness. Specifically, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Right? So, so God's wrath is being poured out against those that are suppressing the truth. And that is one of the main phrases in this passage is those who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. So there's the, the other main phrase that is repeated three times in 24, 26, and 28 is God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over. 
that is here in this section is God giving them up. That is his wrath. That is the form of his wrath. That is how he is doing it. He gives them up to have it their own way. They said, God, we want our sexual immorality. We want it. We want to do it our own way. You can't tell us it's wrong. God says, you want it that way? Fine, have it that way. That's God's wrath. Him saying, fine. Live with it. And then it does what? Sin multiplies. Gets deeper, grosser, thicker, intensifies as God, it's a giving over. He's removing the restraining of his Holy Spirit. Right? You know what? One of the ways that I pray, especially when there's a sin in your life that continues and you just want to get rid of it, I, I pray, God, never remove your Holy Spirit from me to keep me from sinning. Right? When you see those examples in Scripture, it is scary when God gives people over to their lust. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Right? I say, God, if anything, God, give me an extra dose of your Holy Spirit to convict me and to restrain me from going down that path, right? Give it to me. Kick me in the shorts, right? Lay it on thick so I walk the straight and narrow. I never want to fall off the cliff. Is it me that's going to keep me from falling off the cliff? No. I don't kid myself to think that I'm strong enough to walk the straight and narrow. I did that once and God let me fall on my face. Well, okay, maybe a thousand times, right? But, but God restrains his people with, with a gift of his Holy Spirit. And he doesn't want us to fall off the bandwagon, right? And so I don't want that because if that happens, it's God's wrath upon us. When he gives us over. So that's the kind of wrath that we're dealing with in this section is his anger in saying, fine. And you see that a bunch of places uh, in, in scripture. And I'm just going to uh, flip ahead here for a second. Read just a couple of uh, references. If you're into writing down references, I'm not going to go to them all this morning. But uh, Judges is full of them. Right? But Judges 10, 13, and 14 is one of those references where God says... You've done this. You've served these other idols. Go ahead and have at it. Right? Proverbs 1, like, like from 24 to the end of the chapter of Proverbs chapter 1, is all about God turning them over. You've wanted to serve those other idols? Have it your way. Go for it. Hosea 4.17. In Hosea, it's um, God's people, right, B being unfaithful. To God. And in Hosea 4 17, God says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let them alone. He doesn't say, I'm going to turn him back. He just says, He's serving idols. Let them go. Right? Uh, Jesus in, in Matthew 15 14 says, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. We're talking about the Pharisees, Sadducees, right? He says, they're blind leaders of the blind. Let them be. That's not God being nice. That's God in his wrath saying, let them go their way. They're going to receive full due. And in fact, 
What really happens is when God says, let him go, his wrath is doing nothing but increasing for those people, right? He's, he's gonna, he says several times in Scripture, I'm going to wait until it's full, and then I'm going to let loose. I'm going to wait until their sins have manifested to fullness, and then my anger is going to be unleashed. And, and that is a, that's one of the scariest things I could think of in Scripture that God would say. So, uh, it is happening, but what is, the questions we need to ask anytime we come to Scripture is, how, why, who, you need to be good at asking questions of God's Word, right? And so you're like, okay, God, when I come to 18 and following, why and how, right? The why is certainly because they are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. The how is the giving them up. Right? That's the how it's coming out. That, that's the, the basic answer for those questions. But, but let's continue. He says, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So, okay, so suppressing is what? Suppressing the truth. The truth is right here. The truth is around you. General revelation is, is what he's talking about here. Not even special, even just general. Um, that anybody can see. But... The, the suppressing is, is holding down, holding back, just resisting the truth, right? Resisting what God has revealed about himself out there. And Paul is talking about, this is special revelation, right, right here in the Bible. He's talking about general revelation, right? Because right? he says, what may be known of God is manifest in them. This is everyone. For God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are hidden? No. His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, creation, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. The entire world has no excuse for not believing in God. He has put it in them. Right? And we're going to get to that further. At the very end of the chapter, it's knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving. But they, they know what, that God is a righteous God, that he's a holy God that he is going to judge. God has, we'll see here more in a second, but God has put into everyone the knowledge of him. Because, and, and let me just keep reading, I guess, a little bit for verse 21 so I can catch up there. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. God has built into every person the knowledge of him. That doesn't mean they know salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that, like special revelation, but they know there is a God that they are responsible to. And he will hold them to an account. That he is a creator of everything, right? That is um, easy to see, plain to see. God has built it into our framework. Whether it is looking at the infinite greatness of the universe through a telescope, right? Or looking at the delicate petals of a glacier lilies that are coming up all over the place right now, right? Right? God is on display everywhere, whether, whether from the, on our porch, the little hummingbirds that are zooming around your house and buzzing you in right now, or whether it's Mount Everest 
God is clearly seen in everything, right? Right? I, I think about uh, when I was a little kid living on the ocean and the, the massive power of the waves crashing into the beach, right? You can see God clearly in that. Well, on the flip side of that, you can see a nursing mother with her baby. You can see God in all of the created order, right? He's everywhere. It, there's his beauty, his power. He says his power in his Godhead, right? The fact that there is a God and he's powerful and he's the creator, easily seen. So here's something that the world is going to tell you opposite-wise. The world tries right now, um, because they're trying to deny God's existence, uh, push it out of their heart. They want to say, I don't believe in God. I don't see any proof. Convince me of God. Show me the reality of God, and then I'll believe and love him and all that. That's 100% opposite of what God says he puts the knowledge right in it's it's built in but see what happens though is uh that 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 route to foolishness and darkening uh it's really a heart issue it's not a mind issue God's already put it here but the rejection comes from here and that clouds this the rejection here in your heart is what clouds the mind and makes a fool Right? It's, it's them saying, I don't want a Lord. I don't want a God. I don't want to. I want my unrighteousness. I don't want to follow his will and his righteousness. I, I want to go my own way. I'm going to block him out of here. And then I have to push him out of my brain. Right? I got to push him out of my knowledge. I have to invent a system of belief where there is no God. Therefore, let's come up with everything came from nothing. Let's invent evolution right let's invent a system that there is no god that that is what happens they profess to be wise they became fools they changed the glory of the incorruptible god into an image made like corruptible man birds and four-footed animals and creeping things right um professing to be wise they became fools Uh, you see that everywhere when they're giving each other degrees Right? Putting on fancy robes and parading themselves around. That's professing to be wise, but they became fools. Right? And, and what, what, what's the word for fool in the Greek? Moron. Moronos. That's where we get moron from. Professing to be wise, they became morons. If you push God out of your heart and then out of your mind, you become a fool. And everything you're about is foolishness. It's a downward spiral from the creator and his love and his grace and his wonder and amazement. It's all just a downhill spiral to what we have all around us, right? So, so given what Romans 1 says, don't, when we go out there, don't get sucked into the idea that you have to prove the existence to people, existence of God to people. You don't have to prove that to them. They will try to, they want, they want a system where there might be a God, and there might not, and I choose not. They, they want to put you on your heels to have to prove God to them. But that's not the way that we need to react. We can say, no, there's a God, 
And in fact, he put that knowledge in you and it's evident everywhere and you're just denying because you have a heart issue. You need to turn from your sins, repent, and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. That's our response. Our response is the gospel, not scientific evidence. Scientific evidence is great for Christians because it solidifies our faith. It never creates faith. It doesn't prove faith. Right? You can't prove to a scientist that God exists. They have to have a new heart. They need the Holy Spirit to come inside and transform their heart. And so you just need to not give in and say, no, no, God is very evident. You're just in a state of denial, in a state of foolishness, and you need to turn away from your sin and follow Christ. You need to fall in love with Christ and, and his will for you. So as we continue to this section, it, God gave them up, right? They changed the glory of God. And I'm not going to say very much about that, but there is some one or two things to say there. Change the glory of God into this, of the uncorruptible God into creatures, right? Whatever they fashion, whether that's worshiping a tree, worshiping a whale, worshiping a wolf, worshiping your dog. You can invent a million things to worship out there that they will worship rather than God. Right? John Calvin said, your heart is a factory of idols. Right? A factory of idols. We make idols out of everything. We make idols left and right. We can fashion things to worship faster than anything out there. It, we are idol makers. And God says that his wrath comes when you change the glory of God into creeping things or like man so but here's the thing it, it a corrupted man corruptible man uh, where is the glory of god seen well, paul says in corinthians 11 first uh, corinthians 11 it, it's kind of an odd spot but um, in first corinthians 11 paul says god created man in his image and according to his glory in first corinthians 11 we are, we're created in his image you bear the image of god but that's marred, that image is marred and corrupted when we give in to ungodliness and unrighteousness and vile passions and the sickness that I read through here. This stuff, it takes that image of God and it just destroys it and, and brings it down into ugliness. When we take the way that God has created us to be, we are light bearers, right? We are supposed to shine the light of God to this world and we take it and make it black and ugly when we exchange what's natural for what is unnatural when you when you take that and 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 it drives me crazy it makes me extremely angry when our society wants to put the knowledge of god so far away and they know it's intentional they don't believe in god they hate god so they want to mar his image thus doing unnatural and sick, perverse things. But when they begin to then force us to say we have to agree with it and we have to pat them on the back and we have to march in the parade with them and you can't say anything about them, that's wrong, that makes me really upset. What really grinds me is then when they teach it to little children and they're forcing it on little ones 
and then you read in the news where their parents are giving kids uh, hormone treatments to turn them into the opposite sex and that kind of stuff and giving them surgeries and all that. That is the, we are at the deepest, sickest place we could be. It's sickness. When you force it on a child, do you not expect the wrath of God to fall on a nation? I'm surprised we're still here. I'm saying, God, you're a lot more patient than I am. Because my mind goes to unrighteous anger. Hopefully it's mixed with a little righteous anger, right? But, but I, get, I get really tested, right? And, and I can't believe the patience of God. His, his grace far exceeds anything that I could come up with. But they're trading in the, this vile wickedness for what is unnatural, and they're forcing it on children. And God has turned us over. There is no doubt in my mind that God has turned us over to the lusts because we're going headlong with it everywhere. And you know, I want to say that forcing on children is probably about the worst, but you know something that's right there, as bad as it gets, is when it comes into churches. When it comes into the worship of God, when people say we're worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping God, and that's all okay. Bring it all in. We're going to celebrate it here from the pulpit. We're going to celebrate it in church, that kind of sickness. That, uh, I think that's what, what would Jesus say to that? Probably what he said to the Pharisees, let them alone. That's just religion at its worst. That's not pure and good. That's the worst it could be. And, and that's where we see worship going on in the United States right now and around the world, but the United States is where we're at, but it's, it's about as bad as they could get. But, you're like, this is a great, nice sermon. <laughs> but, but that doesn't mean there's not good news. Right? That doesn't mean there's not good news because there's um, quite a bit more of Romans to go through. Right? Uh, Jesus has a plan. Paul is setting the stage and he has to begin with wrath and anger and unrighteousness so that we appreciate the good news of what Jesus did on the cross, right? Because you're like, I need the cross. When you read this kind of stuff, I need Jesus. I need what he brings and only he can bring, right? I need that forgiveness and I need uh, God, Jesus, save us from ourselves, right? Bring repentance to this land. Bring a great movement to this land. Uh, I heard a, a pastor say um, several months ago that the worst thing that could happen to us now, right now, the worst thing that could happen right now is for us to get through this panic without turning in repentance to God. To say, we pulled our bootstraps up. Oh, look, our government and our leaders saved us. We're, everything's going to be okay. We're back to having lots of money. We're back to work again. And nobody repented of their sins. That would be the worst thing that could happen out of this. Because God is doing this. God is over all this. He is in control of all this. He is a sovereign God. He's pouring it out. But you have to ask the question, what does he want us to hear? What does he want out of all this? It's not for us to get our money back in the stock market and be happy because we got our jobs back and, and to carry on, we made it through the panic. 
He wants us to say, okay, where is our hearts gone wrong? What do we need to repent of? And how do we need to walk? Trusting you, not our little G God government, to save us. But the check in the mail didn't save us. Right? God, you save us. Right? Uh, and, I, and I really hope that all those people out there that are trusting in their wealth and trusting in their government and trusting in their activities and whatever as their enjoyment and, and happiness, I really pray that God is using this to rattle everybody to the core to say that, no, we will not put our trust in those things. They never brought real happiness, and they're not doing it right now. God is what brings true joy, true happiness, true salvation, right? And, and I pray that he's going to do wonderful things through all of this, that we'll, at the end of the day, people will say, God, my will is skewed. It's sinful. May your will be done in my life. Help me to follow your will in Jesus Christ, right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. Your word is what sets us straight. Your word is truth. Your son is truth. Father, we need more of it. We need to be, we, we need a work of your Holy Spirit through your word continually to help us to be discerning and, and thinking clearly today. Father, we need to be, uh, have hearts that are not calloused, but soft and ready to be molded and, and changed by, transformed by you. Father, we need to hear of your holiness and your righteousness. Father, we need to crave that holiness and righteousness, uh, the righteousness of God that is in salvation through faith and not through works. We need, we need that truth. So, Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for Romans. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We, we thank you for what's coming ahead, that nothing can separate us from your love. We're, we're thankful that there's no condemnation for us in Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful for that, and we're also thankful that, we, that you let us know that we all fall short of your glory and that we're in need of only what you can bring. Father, we ask that you'd help us to go out of here full of light and truth, that, that we will be able to say hard things to people that need to hear hard things because that's the way that love comes. Father, may we... Uh, interact with people the way that your son Christ did. And, and Father, this is, is so good for me to hear as well because I, we need to tell people what they need to hear. Uh, not just the nicey-nice stuff. Father, we ask that you would just uh, go with us. Father, we ask that you be pleased with our worship and our fellowship that we are about to enter into again. We ask it in Jesus' name.